Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome a very special guest, Deborah Bowman, to the podcast. She is the professor of mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling. It's a very special treat to have you again. So thanks for coming. Thank you, David. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Oh, sure. It's just a delight to be here again. And this is the 28th year I've been at Naropa. Wow. Yeah. And I want to share a little bit of the history about the programs I've taught with and share a little bit about oh, a few stories and what we do in the programs okay. and why they've had such meaning for me over the years. And I yeah. hopefully many of our thousands of graduates. Yeah. Great. So mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling, where did it come from? Oh, that's great. Well, yeah. that's what we renamed ourselves a couple of years ago in the general track that used to be called transpersonal counseling psychology. Mm -hmm. And we're now moving in an emphasis with counseling at the master's level. That's the, sort of the, the degree that people get in the master's level at this point that work with others in the field. And in a sense, we have been implicitly mindfulness-based for the last 28 years. Mm -hmm. But the program that I teach in originally was a transpersonal program with another college. And that mm. was over 28 years ago. And that was a very small school that tried to invest in other programs that didn't go. Mm -hmm. But ours was going strong, but the school unfortunately had to close. Oh, and well, that's how we got to Naropa because we had about 110 stranded students in the field of transpersonal counseling. Okay, And... We graduated about half of those throughout the year. Many of us volunteered to do that to help people through their internships that were farther along in their programs. But yeah. there was another 50 or so students who didn't have a home. Mm. And the other main college in our town in, here in Boulder, Colorado, was Naropa University. And at the time, it was the Naropa Institute. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of looked at them as our competitors from the mm. school because they have this, this very delightful contemplative psychotherapy program. Yeah. But ours was more transpersonally based, which is more, you might say, ecumenical in its reach. The contemplative program at Naropa is, is a wonderful program based deeply in Buddhist psychology and also has a very strong meditation component. And the transpersonal field, you might say, would call that a transpersonal program, but the transpersonal field in its reach is more ecumenical, it involves many other different wisdom traditions because it draws mm -hmm. on the wisdom tradition to understand human experience yeah. as well as psychology. Okay. So it's kind of a marriage between traditional psychology mm -hmm. And the understanding of the human experience as a spiritual experience. Yes. 
So the field has drawn greatly from Buddhism and meditative practices Mm -hmm. for helping individuals lead a more full and fulfilling life. Yeah. And it also studies chanting and mystical Christianity Mm -hmm. and Sufism and shamanistic practices. So it looks across the spectrum that humans have sort of played with reaching for something beyond their ego, reaching for something beyond the little self. Yeah. So the work of Carl Jung, the work of Stanislaus Grof, the work of many others have been under this umbrella of transpersonal psychology. Mm -hmm. And so it was a field that was developed in the 50s as an extension of humanistic psychology. Mm -hmm. Abraham Maslow was the person who developed humanistic psychology, sort of put a framework around many others who were sort of developing that, uh, Fritz Perls and Carl Rogers, and but he sort of defined the field. But when he studied individuals who were exceptional, yeah, what he found was they all described mystical experiences. Mm-hmm. They all described experiences beyond what I'm calling the little self or the ego that gives one a connection to everything yeah. that doesn't separate us from others, that understands we're either not separate or we have this unitive experience mm-hmm. and is guided by ethical principles. And so when he studied these people, he realized there was a vast new field yeah. beyond humanistic <laughs> that included humanistic but went beyond that. Mm. So what we brought to Naropa was the transpersonal, but when we came, we were able to marry it with the deep meditative traditions at Naropa that yeah. are part of the Buddhist tradition. So mm-hmm. Naropa has been unique also in being able to teach both very traditional Buddhist practice mm-hmm. as well as being aligned with how do we study this in a more secular way. You know, Shogyam Trumper Rinpoche developed a sort of container where people could study meditation and mindfulness without the religious trappings yeah. to broaden its reach to people you know, all around the world. And mm-hmm. so it was so wonderful when we came with these 50 students to Naropa. Yep. And Marvin Casper was the individual I worked with in developing a new curriculum that included meditation practice Mm -hmm. as a basis for understanding the self and sitting with others. Yeah. So our program is based in that more secular vision, and we sort of marry those two. We've done that since the beginning, Mm -hmm. but it was only a couple years ago that we renamed that core program mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling. Yeah. And... What that means, because in the transpersonal field, there's a very theoretical end of it, like in all psychology. But what this does, it gives an experiential basis for learning about the self and learning about others through quieting the self, through doing contemplative practice Mm -hmm. that reaches across all religious traditions, all spiritual traditions. 
So it's been a very exciting program because <laughs> of that. It's been really juicy, yeah. and it's very experiential. And one of the other things when we started this particular program is both programs at the old school I was with, graduate school and Naropa Institute, taught Gestalt therapy. And I, I myself am a Gestalt therapist. Yeah. In my other talk, I That's talked what we talked about, about last talk. Healing mm-hmm. in the here and now. So yeah. it was such a wonderful marriage to to put it in the program as sort of part of the requirements because it meant people were going to sit still and quiet and work with their mind, which is not always still and quiet, right? Yeah, you realize how unstill and quiet it is when you have to sit with it. That's right. Yeah. And it's sort of, people have this idea that meditation is just quieting the mind. And no, the mind never quiets. Mm-hmm. It's working <laughs> with the mind yeah. and going through a quieting process. Mm-hmm. You know, just accepting yeah. all that noise. It's like sitting in the boat and just letting the current go and That's not right. trying to like paddle against the current. That's right, because most of us do in our lives paddle yeah. against the current. Mm-hmm. So this program is very much based in that, and it yeah. took off right away. It was very popular. Yeah. So that's been very exciting. And as I've been a part of the program, I don't know, I had this vision even before I came to Naropa about when I was at the other school about what would it be to have a creative arts program or what would it be to have other varieties? And I was actually... Where did that idea come from? I don't know. It just kind of popped in your mind? It popped in my mind. Awesome. But I was involved with creative process also. And I had had a difficult experience. My mother died Mm -hmm. when I was at Boulder Graduate School. And one of the teachers there, Mimi Farrelly, was an art therapist and Mm -hmm. she was running a little class and I decided to take her class. Yeah. And I ended up painting portrait after portrait of my mother Mm. and painting boxes where I put items, mementos from my mother in and I did sculpture and it just opened that whole field because, you know, my mother was the person I was closest to in my entire life. Yeah. And I had no tools at that point in my life to really process my own stuff in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I did the study with her, and it just opened doors. And then I also studied what's called the dream painting process with Mm. Carl Jung. Carl, I didn't study with him, but (laughs) um, I would have loved to. Yeah, right. You know, it's been a long time since he's walked this earth. So it opened me up to that creative process. Mm -hmm. And then Mimi and I were part of the Colorado Art Therapy Association. And we would go down to the meetings together. And she was trying to start a program with another college in our region. Yeah. An art therapy. And they were interested, kind of, and maybe. And I kept watching this thinking, boy, that would fit well at Naropa. Yeah. Boy, that would be nice (laughs) to have an art therapy program. And so when the other school did reject it, she had done all the surveys about there were like two, three hundred people in Colorado that were interested in art therapy. So we she, so she had the program. She just didn't have an institute to bring it to. That's right. Yeah. So I said, Mimi, come to Naropa. Please come to Naropa. Yeah. And it took a little while to convince her. Okay. But it ended up being a great fit. And yeah. we immediately had students to fill our first class. Mm. And so what we did was our art therapy students took about half their courses in art therapy and half their courses shared with the other students yeah. in you know in the transpersonal program and so 
again, here we had a highly experiential program, like, you know, with Gestalt meditation at the heart of the transpersonal counseling psychology program, then we had art as a contemplative practice. Art is so reflective. Yes. Art is such an opportunity, both the doing of it Mm -hmm. and the looking of it and the sharing it. You know, it's just such a powerful medium. It's a powerful medium with children. It's very well-known work with children, but also with adults. Yeah. People of many different stripes and colors and needs in the world. So we got this going, and that was so exciting. And then I was there for another five or so years, and I had stepped out of, I was the chair at the time of the regular program, and then I had had a climbing accident mm-hmm. when I was working in outdoor education many years earlier, and I had lost my eye. Mm-hmm. And when I worked in the outdoor field, I loved it. I just was so alive. It felt so empowering yeah. to do things I'd never done in my life with my body and to be in nature. And you know that was a lot of inspiration for the art as well. And, mm-hmm. and it was sort of like, hmm, what would it mean to have... <laughs> a wilderness therapy program yeah. that had emotional intelligence as part of it. Because, you know, in the outdoor field, it's often not therapeutically minded, but it's very, I hate to use a stereotype, but pretty macho field, particularly when I was doing that 30 years ago or 35 yeah, it's, years uh, ago. You could say abled body field. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So we looked at what would it mean to do a wilderness therapy program. Mm, what does it look like? Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> well, I invited, we kind of, I drew out a skeleton uh-huh. and then I invited a friend who was professional in the field, had worked for Outward Bound, had been a consultant with organizations yeah. and in the outdoor field. And she filled out the bones that I had kind of sketched out. And our wilderness therapy program is out of sight. Yeah. These students, when they enter, they spend 10 days in the wilderness together, camping, sitting, hiking, climbing a mountain together, Mm -hmm. dealing with bears, Uh you know, dealing with whatever is there as a group and a community. So it's a very community group based sort of classroom. Mm -hmm. So that was in the outdoors. Then the first year they take very traditional courses with an emphasis often in wilderness, Mm -hmm. but their second year is highly experiential. They do rock climbing, they do canyoneering, they do river trip, they do horses, Mm. they do rites of passage. Like when I taught with that program, I would teach group dynamics and we would have a classroom experience and then we spent 10 days together on a river. Yeah. (laughs) And the students led exercises and if they were interested in working with children, they led exercises of how to do sand play with children because we had these beaches on the Green River that were pure white sand underneath cottonwood trees. Mm-hmm. And so we would enact exercises to work with children and we'd, half of us would be the children and the other half would be the therapist. <laughs> and Or we have days on the river where they would be leading on the river and we'd have exercises in boats. We had students make up exercises of, they brought a canoe <laughs> up on the land, and they said, okay, two of you in the group, 
that feel like you have a conflict, mm-hmm. step into the canoe. Ah. And then they did basically couples therapy with them. Oh, man. It was so brilliant. You know, so the students are highly creative in this program. Yeah. And they work together. You know, it's not easy living with people, you know, your fellow students. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're going through your own stuff. But what we do in all these programs is we experientially work we pair up students, often actually we pair a, to one to play a, a counselor, one to play the client, mm-hmm. and then a third to observe. So we have them be in these triads, and then they work with each other for half an hour, yeah. and then they debrief with questions we might have for them. Mm-hmm. And then the observer says, this is what I saw. And then later on in these programs, they make videos of their work. Nice. Know, and then they, they work with their teacher, and their teacher gives them feedback. Yeah. So it's very experiential. Wow. And the sitting is so important, or the walking meditation, or mm-hmm. whatever meditation they may be particularly interested in pursuing, but they all do a certain kind of shamatha basic meditation. Yeah. And there's meditation pretty much basically in all these programs. All these programs. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So they need that ground because... Mm-hmm. That experiential work is not easy. You are risking a lot. Yeah. You're showing your mistakes because you're new and you don't know what you're doing. And you can't be perfect. And then oftentimes you these these pairs will say, Well, if you get stuck, take a breath, stop, take a time off, talk about what's going on. Yeah. You know, talk about the therapist. What came up for you? Oh, that reminded you of your dad. Yeah. Then the check-ins are so important. Because yes. they do allow us to stop and like reset the moment. It's kind of like the bow in that we do. Yes. It's like just this, okay, let's just check in with how we're feeling and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing this interdisciplinary play of bringing multiple ideas and theories and thoughts together to fuse them to find a program. And I kind of want to explore how does being interdisciplinary with these ideas and theories and kind of psychologies, how does that inform the learning process? Well, it's my preferred mode. Yeah. Because in this world right now, all those tools are at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. It's really good to ground yourself. Like say my approach is mindfulness-based cognitive therapy or my approach is gestalt therapy or my approach is you know, Winnicott's working with children. So it's good to have a ground. But yeah. if you don't study other approaches, you're so limited these days. Yeah. And what we find with our students is we help them find their passion. Someone may come in and say, I'm really interested in the work of Carl Jung. Yeah. And then they find out, oh, no, sensory experiencing is where, where it's at for me. <laughs> you know, our... It's sort of like because there's exposure early, mm-hmm. there's an opportunity to learn that these things are out there and you have choices yeah. and find out where your home is. You yeah. may have an idea of where it is, mm-hmm. but until you experience it, you don't know. Yeah. And the more you learn, the easier you are to be available to show up for your clients, to show up in therapy sessions, because everyone that shows up for you is going to show up with different 
issues, problems, situations. And if you have a vast idea of what's going on in the world of the mind, which seems mm -hmm. to be pretty vast itself, then you can help them along their journey and guide them along the way in how it uniquely shows up for them. Absolutely, because, yeah, you're right. Every client is totally different. <laughs> and you may be married to this one technique, but it's not working with them. Yeah. And if you don't have a few more things in your toolkit, you're going to have a hard time. But yeah. that doesn't mean the bottom line tool in the toolkit is your wisdom and your practice and your love, your compassion. Yeah. Because all these programs, the bottom line is you have to learn compassion towards yourself. Hmm. And that naturally opens to compassion with others. Yeah. Now, practicing, you know, compassion based without skills to back it up yeah. isn't usually very helpful. <laughs> no. So one of the things I always learned that love that Carl Jung said was learn everything you can, read everything you can. Mm -hmm. And when you sit in front of your client, forget it. Yeah, I like that. Because then you are without preconceived ideas of what's going to work for them. Uh -huh. And that, you know, I just gave a talk on diversity, and that goes for that too. Learn everything you can yeah. about the field. You know, learn what is racism, what is sexism, what is white privilege. Learn all those things. But then when you sit in front of somebody, drop it mm -hmm. and trust that what you will need will arise. Yeah. And then it seems as though you just sit and listen. So you learn all these different things, but then you, you're just a conduit to listen. Someone just needs to say what they need to say to someone. Yes and no. Okay. I've been in practice for 31 years. Uh -huh. I've, I've never practiced, so you okay. would definitely know more than okay. me. Okay. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many people come to me and, and not that listening, listening is critical. Listening mm -hmm. is the bottom line. Yeah. But I don't, can't tell you how many people come to me and say, well, he just listened to me. They just listened to me. She just listened to me. Mm. So listening is the bottom line. Our yeah. students have to get that. And you have to be genuine, engaged, and real. Yeah. And it's a creative process. Winnicott, who worked primarily with children, but he worked with adults too, said, Play is the essence of good mm. therapy. Yeah. And that's what, because you're alive, play is based on the unexpected. It's being able to take a cardboard box and create a castle out of it, right? Yeah. So it's two people in a room, and they're human beings. Mm -hmm. And they get to create together. You know, and you as the therapist support that person in creating what they want, but you create the work together. Yeah. So my experience is listening is the bottom line. And for some people, that's going to be enough. Yeah. That's all they need. But I would say the average person needs something more. Okay. They need the right word at the right time. Yeah. They need a certain kind of understanding. They need a certain kind of mirroring because mm -hmm. maybe nobody's done that accurately or very well. Yeah. And so in the transpersonal field, in the mindfulness-based field, in art and in wilderness, 
what we see is that it gives you a handle. It's sort of like, okay, here's the swing set. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to do with that? It's sort of like, particularly in the transpersonal field, where you want anything as possible, Mm -hmm. and you believe, you absolutely know that person's basic goodness and their human potential is limitless. Yeah. Absolutely limitless. Yeah. And helping somebody find that, because that is a little bit where transpersonal verges from the traditional psychology, mm-hmm. is that we're not aiming towards okay. We're not aiming towards the relief of agony. We're aiming towards the full potential of that human being. Yeah. You know, and of course in Buddhism, that's often referred to as basic goodness. Yeah. So which we all inherently have. You've got it. Yeah. Right, right. So believing that no matter who's sitting across from you mm-hmm. and not knowing the answers and that kind of not knowing. You know, it's funny, there's two maxims I think <laughs> of the field of transpersonal. Know thyself uh-huh. and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and holding those together, it that's the paradox of the human experience. Yeah. We have to know thyself, but on the ultimate level, we don't know. And living with that groundlessness, living with that not knowing, you know, what's coming tomorrow, that there's no certainty in life, and still delighting in what is and what is possible. Yeah. Very, very beautiful. Well said. There's so many different programs that we have here and they're all, they all seem to have a mindful sort of meditative practice to it that informs the teaching on a deeper level that can allow the therapy sessions to go deeper. Is there like a certain mindfulness practice that is applied to every single program or does it shift per program? Okay. Well, the three that I described... And now we have a hybrid program, which is kind of half online, half in person mm-hmm. in, with a with mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling. Those three have a particular mindfulness-based and meditation practice that's associated with okay. them. Now, we are embedded in a larger part of the university called the Graduate School of Counseling and Psychology. Yeah. Okay, and they have two other programs, or really three other programs within that, that were there before we came to the school in 1991. Okay. Okay. And that's the Contemplative Psychotherapy and Buddhist Psychology Program. Mm -hmm. That's been there, I think, many more years than ours. And it also has the basic mindfulness and meditation practices, but it goes deeper into Buddhist psychology and other Buddhist kind of practices as a basis for understanding the human psyche and the human experience. Yeah. Okay. And the experience of sentient beings. And then there is our somatic psychology program, which is somatic counseling right now, which is also this brilliant sort of work with the body integrating the Mm -hmm. mind. Now they have less formal meditation. They've got a little bit of it. But the study of the body, you know, is an awareness practice. It's yeah, a mindfulness it's very practice. In the moment. Yes. And that program, actually, there's two divisions within it. 
there is also dance therapy. Yeah. And that is just a delightful program. <laughs> yeah. And I hope you get to talk to the people with those programs as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. So we have about a minute or so left. Is there anything else you'd just like to share about the programs and maybe your experience? I'll share with you when the program closed and I was on a retreat. And I don't know if you know the name Angelus Arians, but she was a... She was big in the field of transpersonal psychology. She mm-hmm. was an anthropologist, psychologist. She also studied religion. And she had a saying that we've sort of based as sort of kind of one of our mottos of our program. It's, and oh, she devised these four steps mm-hmm. based on her study of the world wisdom traditions. Okay. And she felt that these were truths within all of them yeah they weren't they weren't necessarily named like this but the underlying was this was the practices show up first thing you have to do is show up yep pay attention mm. and she said pay attention to what has heart and meaning okay. okay so show up pay attention tell the truth uh-oh yeah i know <laughs> but it's tell the truth without judgment or blame yes that's not easy no okay get you there though yeah and be open to outcome Mm. you know those are the four things we have to do in this life and that's sort of been our motto at this program yeah from from its inception and she was a great inspiration to me and to many of us to start this program in fact she i consulted with her what do we call it we'll talk about transpersonal yeah that sounds really good yeah (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your passion, your love, your knowledge, and just your being. It was really beautiful to hear your reflection on the the program and just kind of like the developing of the program. Oh, thank you, David. It's been a delight to spend this time with you again. Yeah, again. (laughs) All right. So today, I'd just like to thank Deborah Broman speaking with us. She is a professor of the mindfulness-based transpersonal counseling. So thanks again. You're welcome. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.